Welcome to Modern Motherhood, where you're required to be everything to everyone all the time. We wouldn't have it any other way, but let's be honest, it's hard work. So let's talk about it, all of it, in the raw with no filter. Come and be a fly on the wall as you listen in on a chat between friends as each week welcomes a new guest and a new topic to delve deeper around the ins and outs of not only motherhood, but life in general. The ups, the downs, the struggles, the highlights, the reality. Because the reality is, you're not alone. We're all in this together. You're listening to Mummy Republic. Welcome to the whirlwind. lovely and welcome back to another episode of the Mummy Republic podcast. I'm your host Danny, and I cannot wait to get into today's conversation but before I do I want to give a quick shout out to username Shans87Gib who left a beautiful five-star rating and review for me over on the iTunes podcast app. She says amazing podcast just like a convo between friends. I love this podcast. It touches on some really important topics and I find the way Danny approaches the topics to be really insightful. She has a way of making the guests feel comfortable and asking the right questions as the conversation flows. You really do feel like you're listening in with friends. Thank you so much, hon. It really means so much to me to have you take the time to write that beautiful review for me, uh, particularly when it does make a huge difference to the podcast. So if you would like to do the same, you can jump on over to the iTunes podcast app, leave a rating and review to let other listeners know what they're in for. And if you are enjoying the episodes, then you can feel free to share it on social media and share the love. Now, if you haven't done so already, make sure that you click on that subscribe button because I do have a bonus episode coming up before the end of the year, just in time for the Christmas break. So make sure that you don't miss that one. Now, today's conversation is not one that contains a great deal of sensitive content. However, I am going to put a trigger warning on it anyway, because if you are someone who's gone through a chronic illness or you're in the process of watching someone you love experience this type of illness, then you may find the content sensitive or it's not something that you're in the right headspace to listen to. But there is some valuable advice and some really great insight into the journey of someone who is suffering. So on that note, why don't we just get started? Today's mama is one who shares the ups and downs of living with an illness. With the perfect balance of raw honesty and positivity, she continues to juggle the other demands of mum life. Welcome to the beautiful Emmy O'Neill. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You're good. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thank you for joining me. Now, you are a little bit nervous, which I can tell (laughs) and you've admitted to. Yes. Um, But thank you for coming on today and sharing your story. So... Obviously, I could talk um, a little bit about your journey, but I'd rather hear it from you. So why don't we start at the beginning um, of when your chronic illness began? Okay, so my chronic illness actually began when I was born. So oh. it's a, I'm 34, so it's a 34-year-old journey. Mum was quite unwell and basically the placenta had come away when I was inside and so she had an emergency cesarean and when I was delivered I wasn't breathing and I didn't have a heartbeat so it took them nine minutes to resuscitate me and in that time my kidneys shut down so I was quite lucky 
obviously not to have any other brain injury issues, which often happens from lack of oxygen. Uh, They didn't actually know that it was my kidneys straight away. So once they revived me, I went to the NICU. And then mum said that a few days later, her and dad were really excited because it looked like I'd been putting on weight. And they were like, oh, this is great. She must be healthy. She's growing. But actually, I was just retaining fluid because I was in kidney failure at birth. Um, So they were able to, I guess, treat that because it was an acute injury my kidneys went into failure but then they sort of came back down to just being scarred so for my whole life they essentially were functioned as one kidney so they were both scarred at about 50 percent and then yeah they just kind of functioned as one for my whole life but it never actually really impacted me as a child or a teenager Um, I was very active and I think I probably always had a real, um, not competitive, but I was, I was very determined mm. um, as a child and a teenager. And I always wondered in hindsight if that had to do with having such a traumatic birth. Um, but yeah, I did have to see a lot of doctors, but I was never, inverted commas, unwell. Because you can function with one kidney, can't you? A hundred percent. I think the statistic is something like you can actually go up to 90% yeah, wow. without noticing that you're in kidney failure. Yes. So you can lose 90% of your overall kidney function before you have any signs or symptoms. Wow. Yeah. wow. Still not obviously an ideal path, but no. interesting to note. Yeah. yeah. And so that they were all fine. I had lots of fun as a young adult. Um, did you drink? I did drink. Yeah, yeah, definitely did drink. <laughs> Priorities. Uh, anyone who knew me in high school would definitely say, yes, I did. <laughs> um, and it never really affected, like my results were always the same. They never really deteriorated. It just kind of stayed at slightly damaged. Yeah. Um, then it was only once that I we wanted to start having children that it then kind of became more problematic and we spoke to my specialist who I've had my entire life so I've had him since I was born Mm. and we said we'd like to start a family and he said that would be something he recommended we did sooner rather than later Mm. because he couldn't predict what my kidneys would do as I got older so we started trying before we got married um and that was lucky because it did take us a little bit longer than we thought. We had to use Clomid a few times. Um, and, um, yeah, and so then the first pregnancy, my kidneys got a bit of a hit. So we were sort of – it was a balance between making sure the baby was growing because when you have kidney issues, you also have high blood pressure, which mm. stops babies growing and also increase the chance of preeclampsia. So with my first, with Oliver, that was just that balance. And I was on bed rest at home from 24 weeks just to try and prolong the pregnancy. And we got to 34 weeks and then he came out. Um, And then my kidneys went back to how they were pre-pregnancy. So my doctor said, great, you can go again. So we did. When Ollie was one, we started trying straight away because we knew that it had taken us a bit longer that time. But we just jumped straight on with Clomid and then fell pregnant like pretty much straight away. Um, But they just didn't recover or handle the second pregnancy as well. So I was a lot more unwell, a lot higher blood pressure. um, And Isla came at 32 weeks. So, which was fine. It wasn't that different from 34 weeks. Um, 
I think because my first baby had been a NICU baby, it's all I knew was Mm. a cesarean and a NICU. So it didn't actually really matter. Um, But yeah, they just... So you had to get cesareans with both? Yeah, with both. Yeah. Yeah. Is that because of a risk to you? um, Yeah, they just said that my... It was too much pressure on the body to try and deliver it naturally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so they both... Yeah, I guess they both came early, but with Isla, I just never... My kidney function never bounced back. So it got to a certain point after the pregnancy and then it never went back to what it was pre-pregnancy. And then every time I got sick, so anytime I took antibiotics, anytime I had gastro, which happens all the time when you have kids, um, yeah, basically they just kept getting worse and worse with those major types of things. I used to have to have a, I have to have an annual colonoscopy, the just being dehydrated from that and the... Um, local anesthetic all those um, types of things just always took a hit on my kidneys and then I think it was the end of 2016 I officially entered stage five which is end stage kidney failure Um, and so that was end of 2016 so then it was kind of like a longish process before I started dialysis Um, but yeah wow that's it it. that's it in a nutshell (laughs) Just a casual ramble. Sorry, guys. No, no, it's it's good to have an understanding of where it comes from because I think anything with chronic illness, people just assume that you know maybe it's something that you've it's happened later in life and you've had to adjust. But this has been something you've been dealing with from from day one. Yeah, and I think so. I like I've always known. I always knew that one day I would have dialysis Mm -hmm. and that I would need a kidney transplant. to be honest, obviously as a teenager, I didn't really care about that because it was so far removed, probably even in my early twenties. Um, I didn't really care about that. Um, and I, I will be honest and say, I didn't actually know really what dialysis was until the last maybe five years, even though I knew I always needed it. I never actually looked into what it was. Um, what is dialysis? So dialysis is, it's essentially an artificial kidney. Right. So it's this, it looks like a massive machine, um, but there's a tiny little filter on the machine that kind of looks like, oh, I don't know, like the inside of a Dyson filter. Like it's like a literally like a pool cleaning filter. It's just this tiny little ah, cylinder. Yeah. And that's the actual part that does the cleaning. Okay. But essentially it it's an artificial kidney. So it filters your blood, which I will also admit that it's probably only the last five years that I actually knew that's what kidneys did. I always thought as a kid, kidneys were just to do with weaning because my mum always used to say, you know, you have to drink a lot of water for your kidneys. And so I just assumed, well, not assumed, but that's just what I thought kidneys did, that it was drink water and your kidneys will be fine. But your kidneys also filter your blood. Um, So that's what my kidneys are not doing. So in between my dialysis days, my blood is essentially toxic. And if I didn't go to dialysis, I would eventually die. Who knows how long? They don't, depends on your health. But some people, when they come off dialysis, who are elderly can pass away within a few weeks of skipping dialysis altogether. So it can be quite a quick process. Um, but essentially, they one of the jobs of the kidneys, they have lots of jobs, but one of them is that they filter your blood. So going to dialysis is too filter your blood so they put um two needles in your arm and one of the needles takes out blood and it goes through the machine and then it comes back in clean 
essentially wow. cleaner. Like it's not as clean. You have to understand your kidneys are working 24 hours a day. Yeah. I only have dialysis for a four-hour session. So it's not obviously as efficient as if you had full-functioning kidneys. But, yeah, it strips out the toxins from the blood and it also removes the fluid. So another job of the kidney is to wet, is to help with the wing and to take out the fluid from your body. So I don't go to the bathroom as much as I did prior to being in renal failure. Um, so some of the fluids that I drink passes me, but other fluid stays in my body. So between dialysis sessions, sometimes I can hold two to two and a half liters of fluid, which is the same as two to two and a half kilos. So my body weight fluctuates in a four hour period at the start of dialysis to the end. I'm usually two kilos lighter than I was um, four hours ago. Yeah. um, It just amazes me what we can do with medical technology. Yeah. It's really fascinating. How often are you at dialysis? So I'm actually very lucky. And if anyone is listening and they are in kidney failure and on dialysis, they might be quite jealous, but I only have to go twice a week. Whereas generally for hemodialysis, which is the dialysis with the blood, um, it's three times a week. So, and that's four hours. Yeah, four hour, four hours on the machine, but it usually it's probably really a five hour. By the time you get to hospital, do all your pre stuff, do your post stuff. It's like a five hour se- session. Um, but yeah, I'm lucky. I only need to go twice a week, and that was at the start. They did that because my kids were when I started, the kids were really young. Yeah. Um, so that was just the plan that we had come in place to try and help us manage. Um, and it's essentially month by month. So every month I have bloods and if they're not happy with my bloods, if my levels are too high, um, if dialysis hasn't been working effectively, you get a thing called a clearance rate. And if it's not high enough, then they'll just say you're on three days. But so far, um, watching what you eat really helps with that. So I try not to eat like I couldn't eat, for instance, a mango, a banana, and a bag of spinach all in one day because it's too high in potassium and then my potassium would go through the roof. Um, So I just have to really watch those types of things that I eat. Um, But so far my clearance is over 80%, which is really good. Yay. Two days, fingers crossed. Yeah. That's incredible. And what do you do when you're there? Because I imagine you can't can't really do much. um, No, you have to keep your arms really still because you've got massive needles. So the needles... And this is gross if you're really squeamish, no, but the no, needles are the, the, the needles are the size of like a toothpick, like a skewer thing. They're huge. They're really thick. So you you don't want to be moving that around because you they've got needles yeah. in there. So one arm has to stay straight. So the other arm sometimes I'll watch Netflix. Um there is Wi Fi available. Stunning. <laughs> um <laughs> sometimes I've tried to do blogging and writing or Instagram stuff, but I find that really hard. Cause I've only got one hand mm-hmm. and it's really hard to type. Like you end up getting like cramps in your thumb trying <laughs> yeah. to type with one hand. Um, so I have tried to do that. I did try and start to write a book at dialysis. So I've written a few pages, like physically writing it. But again, it's really hard with one hand. Yeah. Um, and my mum usually visits on a Tuesday and brings me a coffee, which is amazing. Oh, and um, dad comes like every second week when he can. And on holidays, my husband and my husband used to come at the start, obviously, because um, the first like it's fine now. I can just sit there and generally it doesn't hurt. And but the first probably month to two months, it was rough, like yeah. because you're 
apparently, and I don't fully understand how this works, but they try and do it gently at the start because your body, if they removed all the toxins that were in your body from that first dialysis session, your body would almost go into too much shock because it's used to functioning really badly. So they have to kind of do it really slowly. So they said to me it would take nine sessions before I felt good during and after dialysis and they were completely spot on like those first nine sessions were rough I was almost trying I was almost having like panic attacks but it's very hard to have a panic attack when you can't move but then that also makes you want to have a bigger panic attack because you're feeling like you're stuck in a chair um I remember I tried to eat in my first session because I was a lot bigger then and I really liked food and I really (laughs) wanted to eat the free sandwiches like I'm such a sucker for like free um airplane and hospital food not anymore but I was then um and I really wanted to eat the free sandwiches and I tried to eat them and then all of a sudden eating can drop your blood pressure when you're there and so then when that happens you get extreme nausea but you can't move and so it was just it was such a horrible war so yeah how did your how did your husband adjust to this because that's I mean it's a lot for you to take on yeah so yeah I like he's a very resilient and calm person. So he was, he also knew that it was happening. Like it didn't just happen. We knew it was a process. Sure. Um, so we knew it was always going to happen. I think he adjusted fine and I would have said he was completely fine, but he did disclose the other day. So that every time he hears the phone ring, he thinks that it's um, the hospital calling for a kidney. So that's like, nearly 17 months of every time the phone rings and I haven't been like that at all Mm. so that that kind of really broke my heart because I was like oh you're like never switching off from this like it's all always on your mind like I feel like I've been able to sort of I can go a whole day and not think about will the hospital call me for a transplant but I think it's always on his mind so I think that's quite that was quite hard for me to hear um and so I've been trying to encourage him to like go to the gym and like go to trivia and do like little things for him. Yeah. 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 Um, I imagine yeah. though that would be so terrifying. You know, you're the mother of his children and to watch you go through this, it's not happening to him, but yeah. he can feel it. You know, he would absorb all of the emotions. A hundred percent. And he, he also sees like, they do say that like when you like, I've always been quite, I can have quite a temper. I've always had a temper. But um, like when you're in renal failure, you can be like a bit more impatient and snappy. So sometimes I notice that more as well. Yeah. So yeah, no, he's been a very good support. And like, I remember, I don't know, one day I forgot, I left my coffee at home and I'd left my computer at home and I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do at dialysis today? And so I was like, I'll just call him and say hi. And then later in his lunch break, he came and surprised me with like a coffee and my computer. And I was like, oh, you're so amazing. So, yeah, like he's very supportive. Um, And like the kids have definitely, like I think everyone has been affected in some ways. Like the kids 100% have been affected. Um, Massive separation anxiety from Ollie. Isla comes into our bed every night, like screaming out for me. So like we, I guess we're trying to support them. We, we took them at the start to dialysis because we thought that like showing them that I was okay might help them understand, but, um, a counter to that. And we also called it the robot cause we thought 
we were try- I don't know we were trying to make it accessible to them well there's no manual for it right? no you just kind of have to wing it yeah but then the counter to that is when I was talking to my GP about it he was like but maybe that could have also like maybe scared them because you said mummy's like going to a robot and she like has to sit there and like they see her blood going like yeah and we're like oh 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 yeah oh, <laughs> what have we done Peggy <laughs> came with me the other day to get a blood test yeah and I told her to close her eyes and you know, she's seven so she doesn't listen yeah so and she watched and it terrified her yeah and that's just a standard blood yeah. test let alone a whole machine yeah. you know that's quite confronting for them but you know yeah you, you don't want to shield them from it yeah it's so it's been that, that balance. balance it is it's that balance yeah. and we've had to like we just constantly reassure them that I'm okay and yeah but I remember earlier in the year we were going to footy with Ollie and I'd left my phone at home and I didn't realize until we were there and I was like oh I've left my phone at home and he was like oh you've got to go back I'm like no no it's okay it's fine He's like, what if the hospital calls you? How will they be able to? And I was like, oh, like, and we hadn't actually, that was just him listening to conversations yeah. we'd had. And so then I was like, it's okay. I'll borrow someone's phone. I'll call daddy, let him know that I forgot my phone. So he's got his phone and the hospital can call daddy and it's okay kind of thing. But that really highlighted for us, you know, how much that stress that they absorb as well they're so much more intuitive than we give them credit for it's yeah something to be really conscious of even in those conversations you know you'd never know what they pick up no so what does it look like from a transplant perspective are you on a list did you have to qualify yep so so i started dialysis in july last year and then had the process of being um, put on for an interview so mm-hmm. I had to do a lot of tests like blood tests many many blood tests but that's really easy because they do that while you're at dialysis so oh, they just it just you don't have to have more needles yeah. <laughs> um, and then I had to have like a um, I forget like an exercise I forget what it's called the heart one when you're on the treadmill oh yeah I can't think I don't what know it's what called it I know what you do. I can picture it I've in my gone head. completely blank but they like little things like that yeah um and so then they get all those and then they send them off to the PA hospital so they only do transplants in Brisbane at the PA and it's all public whether you're private or public um so that got sent off and then I got an interview time in December so that took six months to actually get the interview well just under six months um, and in that time I was really, cause yeah, before I started dialysis about the month before my surgeon was like, you really need to try and lose five kilos. Cause I was, I was actually classified as obese then. Um, and he's like, it'll just help you when you go for your transplant interview to just be a little bit lower on the BMI. Mm-hmm. And so I had started to do that before dialysis had started started to lose weight, started to try and exercise, though I had very little energy. Um, I was really only swimming once a week, maybe yin yoga once a week. And when I say swimming, it took me like 30 minutes to swim eight laps. Like I was swimming very slow. Um, I feel like that's me at the moment anyway. (laughs) But then once dialysis started and like I'd had that maybe like the first few months of getting used to that, I started to get a lot more energy and I started swimming three to five times a week I was going to yoga three to five times a week so I was really incorporating like I'd become a lot more physical but I was trying to do gentle things Mm -hmm. just to kind of ease into it so I was losing weight so by the time I had got to my transplant interview in December 
I had this diary where I had written down all the exercise that I was doing and I was able to show them that. And I had lost 10 kilos by that point just from swimming and yoga and watching what I eat. Um, And so they were super happy. They were like, you're an amazing candidate. Your blood type is great. Yep. Six to 12 months for sure. And they backdate your time from when you start dialysis. So I was like, oh, sweet. I'm going to have a kidney in like six months. This is great. This is amazing. Like, um, and I was like very positive. They were very positive. Um, Six months passed. It didn't happen. (laughs) But um, yeah, that, I guess that's, it's not just a list because yes, it goes into how long you've been waiting and it goes on your blood type, but it's also your tissue types. You have six tissue types. So they try and match that. Um, There's no preference if you're young or if you're a mum. like it doesn't, that doesn't come into it. It's just about, I guess, finding the best kidney for you. Yeah. Yeah. And what type of procedure is it to do a transplant? I imagine it's quite a significant surgery. um, Yeah. I mean, it is. I feel like it sounds like the recovery of it is similar to a cesarean. It's in a similar region. They'll start at my cesarean scar and cut upwards. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, that's what I'm imagining when I first get up that it's going to be feeling like that hit by the bus cesarean feel Mm. um it's only five to seven days in hospital okay um but then you have to go back to hospital every day for two weeks Mm. um in the morning to the clinic and they do blood tests to check that you're not rejecting the kidney sure and then i think it's every three days for the next i don't know three or four weeks it's an eight week process so you're with the pa for eight weeks essentially um yeah but i am close to the top of the list i know this because yes i've seen some yeah. stuff on your story because i have i have been offered well my doctor has been offered two kidneys um in the past two weeks so and that happened within a 24-hour period so it was a very intense 24-hour period um but the first one was my blood type but it didn't have any tissue typing matches and the second one was a diabetic kidney, so he didn't want to take those. Sure. Um, and the reason it's important to try and get at least one tissue typing match is just because I'm only young and kidneys transplants don't last forever, they want a younger kidney and they want one that matches the best possible way so I don't develop antibodies mm-hmm. so that then when slash if I needed a second transplant when I'm older in my 50s or 60s, I don't have lots of antibodies, which makes it really hard for a match. Yeah. So I guess they're just trying to look out for future Emmy. <laughs> yeah. And what, what if they can't find a kidney? Um, you just keep doing dialysis until you can't, I guess. I'm, I'm not a rare blood type, so it would be un- very unlikely that that would be the case. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think for me that's probably not the case, but I'm on a few like Facebook groups, kidney, like kidney disease, Facebook groups, which are sometimes beneficial, but sometimes not. But there are like, there are stories of people in there who have waited a really long time. Um, But yeah, that would be unlikely. Does it scare you? I think in some ways the transplant does just because the risks afterwards. So Mm -hmm. you're on immune suppressant drugs for the rest of your life. If you miss a single dose of those drugs, your kidney can go into rejection. Um, you're at risk 
because of the immune suppressant drugs of catching every single illness under the sun. Mm. Um, your risk of skin cancer is really through the roof um, and other cancers because your immune system is so compromised. So I'm nervous of that because I feel like at the moment on dialysis, I'm functioning really well. Yeah. And so it feels like a bit scary to then go through a proceed like a massive surgery and then take drugs for the rest of my life, which have all these side effects, but long-term dialysis isn't a solution. It puts a lot of pressure on your heart. Um, so yeah, dial transplant is still a hundred percent the best treatment, but both dialysis and a transplant, it's not a, there's no actual cure. Mm. It's just a treatment. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like, obviously, it's impacted a lot of your world, um, you know, your mindset, your health. Do you feel like it's been a blessing in some ways in, in that instance? Yeah. Because you have lost a lot of weight. And yeah. Yeah. So, I ha- so in terms of the weight, I have – yeah, that's huge. I've nearly lost 22 kilos since Woo! May last year, which is massive. <laughs> um, I feel like I'm my old – you know, I was always – a very healthy and active person through my teens and early twenties. Like I loved sport. So I feel like it's awesome that I've got the energy to do Mm. that again. So that's definitely a blessing, but I feel more than that. It's just made me like, I used to really care about what other people thought of me Mm. a lot. Like I would really, if I found out someone didn't like me, it would really get me down and I would try and work out why they didn't like me and I try and reach out which probably made them hate me even more but like <laughs> I really hated not being liked yeah. and I hated not fitting in and you know like I always just wanted I remember a few Christmases ago like every present had to be the perfect insta wooden monochromatic muted colored present and Ugh, everything had to be like that yeah. and yeah and that's definitely changed like I really you know, the kids wear bloody frozen dresses to the shops, which I swore would never happen, you know, like that type of thing. Like, so in that way, a hundred percent, I feel like all the superficial things, which I used to care about, I literally just don't, it doesn't, I just don't care. And, you know, I left this morning to take the kids to school and there's the scrambled egg, like nothing has been put away. And it just doesn't matter. Like they were the types of things that I used to get stressed about. But now I'm like, well, if I just do it when I get home, I'll just do it when I get home. And even this sounds silly, but (laughs) I'm someone who, when I couldn't find something in the past, I would get very, it could escalate to being very um, anxious and very stressful. This morning I couldn't find my mascara, which is the only makeup I wear. (laughs) I always have to have mascara. And I was like, okay it'll be here somewhere like I said to myself where in the past I'd be like where is the mascara like I can't find them we've got to go like and so I just observed that this morning that I was like so much more um calm about those types of things and yes I still get stressed and anxious like I, I did a few weeks ago when I found out that I did get offered a kidney that has been playing on my mind for the last few weeks and I know I've been a lot more anxious in general but yeah it is definitely a blessing because I feel like, yeah, I just realize how lucky we actually are to be here. And I think probably as a child and a teenager, I did always have that mentality of feeling very grateful and very lucky. But then somewhere in like late teens, early twenties, you know, life happens and mm-hmm. I sort of lost touch of 
that. Like I probably lost touch myself, didn't love myself as much as happens to pretty much every teenager, but it, you know, it probably took a really long time to get that back again. Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes when things like that happen, it's perspective that changes and you realize that, yeah, that all that other shit just does not matter. Yeah, it doesn't. Particularly in the scheme of things, you know, you're talking about life and death situations yeah. and, you know, as much as you could remain positive, that's that's what it is for yeah. you. So, you know, the mascara yeah. is, and it's, we all get caught up in stuff like that, yeah. but it is, it becomes quite trivial. Yeah. And even like Christmas this year, um, I've probably been a bit of a Christmas Grinch. But I kind of am like, why? Because, you know, family, like the extended families want to know what to buy the kids. And all. And I like, I remember saying to Greg, like, no, we as a family, if we could just have one thing, it would be that I get my kidney. We don't actually care mm. about what, you know, that's what the kids want. That's what I want. We don't care what the secret Santa is or what. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I found Christmas really hard this year for that reason, because the one thing that we really want, we actually, no one can buy it. We can't buy it. And so we've tried to do then for Christmas to make it experiences that we can do as a family that hopefully I've had my transplant. I'll have heaps more energy that we can then do. Oh, but that's just an example of like, yeah. yeah, in the past, I remember sending off lists of like shops, online shops where to get the things that I wanted. And whereas this year, genuinely, that's all we really want. And isn't that a message in itself, though, that, you know, money can't buy you what it is that you need? Yeah. And that's what it comes down to. We get so distracted by all the BS. And all those, like, I keep seeing that. I can't think what it is, you know, like, there's those that poem for Christmas, like, what you need, what you want. Oh, yeah, yeah. That thing. And I'm like, no. Yeah. Come on, people. (laughs) Even that's wrong. No. (laughs) Um, Yeah. How do you stay positive though because it's very easy when something difficult happens to you and I I am a firm believer that you do need to give yourself time to wallow and to process but how do you stay positive um I think probably just the kids like I've definitely had dark times and so before dialysis started I had to get a fistula put in my arm which is they need to create a fistula to make a vein into an artery essentially so Mm. it's big enough for the big needles and the first one they put in failed and I like was wallowing in the hospital and then a week later they put another one in up here and it worked for three weeks and then it stopped working it clotted Mm. and I had to wait a weekend before they found out if they could fix it and on that weekend I like just locked myself in the bedroom windows shut I made Greg go out he bought me like pate and cheese (laughs) and I just like ate Maggie beer with a Maggie beer pate with a spoon watching Felicity (laughs) like I was like (laughs) so like I 100% Felicity Felicity, I went old school and it was so good it was so good um literally with a spoon eating pate um And so I definitely have those darker times, but I do think exercise has helped me stay positive. Mm -hmm. Like it's giving me good endorphins and I'm feeling really good. Um, And then I just see the kids and it kind of like spiral, like spirals in a good way. Like it makes it, it, like it's like a good tornado. It makes me want to do more. And I've always had this thing that I've said to myself since it started if I can get out of bed like if I can physically get out of bed I can exercise that day and there are days when I have not been able to physically get out of bed a few weeks ago um, my husband had to have a day off his work to do I was like I can't I can't take the kids to school I can't I just I physically I can't it's too much and I literally slept like till 12 30 that day 
So there's definitely days where it's too much, but I think it's, it's just about reminding yourself of how lucky you are. So Mm. yes, it's really shit that I have this. Yes. It's crap that I've got to go to dialysis, but Hey, I'm actually still here. I get to go to dialysis. Like I get to, you know, like it's changed. That's changed. And the same with exercise. It's like, I, I had this through, through my early twenties. If I was exercising, it was because I ate something bad or I was trying to lose weight. And every year for New Year's, my resolutions were the same. Like, lose weight, learn French. Lose weight, learn French. I lived in Paris. I still can't speak French. Like, seriously, it just never happened. Um, But, like, I always had the same resolutions. But the reason I wanted them was was not to be healthy it was because i wanted to be yeah. like a size six or a size and eight it's about it's not about health it's about punishing yourself yeah exactly yeah and i read that book that had a i never know how you say it, huga hagi huji that um it's that um norwegian danish um h-y-g-e huga hygiene <laughs> Anyway, people will, it's like a, it's a way of life. And she, okay. in this one part, she was talking about how like people go out to exercise, like to feel good. And I was like, what? And I like had this realization. I was like, oh my God, you exercise to feel good. Like what? And I like really <laughs> had this and I was like, oh, and so like all these little pieces clicked in and then it was like, it I realized it became a privilege and I was like, Mm. it's actually a privilege that I can get out of bed and go to the gym because there are people who can't physically do that. Yeah. And so then it's like my whole mind, my mind changed. And I was like, you can get, yeah, you have to go to hospital, but you can actually get there yourself and you can go to the gym and go because you can. And so it became yet completely changed. And now yeah, I literally love exercising because I feel so strong when I do it and mm. I don't feel like I'm in kidney failure and I don't feel like I go to hospital throughout the week and I don't feel like a mum. I just feel really strong and I feel really empowered doing it and it's great. So. I love that so much. And you and it's funny because you're doing all of these things, which I'll let you touch on your goals next, but it would be really easy for you to use it as an excuse. And a lot of people would to say, okay, well, well you know, I'm sick. I don't, I can't exercise because I'm sick. Or, yeah. you know, we, we're renowned as mums for saying, I don't have time. Yeah. But, you know, it's about making that choice and yeah. doing what's best for you. Now, you do have some goals coming up when it comes to your fitness. Do you yeah, tell me a bit about I do. That? I just want to touch on that. I don't have time. I think that is, it is really easy to think that, Mm -hmm. but there's literally 24 hours in the day. And even if you just went for a walk for 10 minutes with your kids in the pram or how I started swimming, my gym had a kids club. So I'd go in the middle of the day when I wasn't too tired and just put Isla in the kids club. I think you just have to be a little bit creative with the time. But yeah, so my goals, my goals for 2020 are very big. Um, so I'd like to do a sprint triathlon, um, in February. So it's not learning French. No, that's <laughs> French. So no, no, it's gone. Um, I want to do, they're basically all fitness related. I want to do a sprint triathlon at the start of the year, a half marathon in the middle of the year, and then the full Noosa triathlon at the end of the year. Um, and the reason I started, I so I, I did a, the bridge to Brisbane earlier in the year and that was my goal. And what I loved about it was it made me kind of a bit more mindful because I wasn't fully projecting into the next, like, when's this kidney coming? It just, I had 
the next eight weeks to think of that. So I've kind of tried to break down my year. So I'm actually doing a little mini try in two weeks um, with triathlon pink. It's only really little, but it was just like the next thing. Like it just gives me something to focus on that I can do for me that has nothing to do with anyone else but me. And it's not about like Ollie goes, are you going to win? When I went to the Bridgeton Brisbane, I was like, oh my God, Ollie, there's thousands of people. I'm not going to win. He's like, oh, but why are you doing it? I'm like, oh, it's not about winning. It's just about doing it and having fun and being being with other people and so yeah I'm really excited about those goals and there is also if I've had the transplant which I think I will have by then um there's the Australian transplant games on I think they're on in September October-ish next year so I would also like to participate in those oh how amazing I love that though that piece of advice around having something to look forward to because I think we always need something to look forward to whether it's a holiday whether it's whatever but particularly when you've got a lot going on that's huge yeah it just it helps pass the time I guess because all of a sudden and that's like this year I've been doing um the f45 challenges yeah um and that's another thing it's like an eight-week block of time where I just focus on that block of time like it does really help me be a bit more mindful and they're so good love it they're so i mean they're exhausting and at times you get hungry but they're good i have never (laughs) this is a this is a misconception my first challenge i didn't realize like if you're training three times a week or more you are actually allowed like an additional i think if you're training three times a week it's an additional 200 calories a day so like yeah it's all on the app guys i didn't know this for the first challenge but like there's actually and if you're training five times a day it goes up you know like you need to actually be so the first challenge i didn't eat enough food i yes i lost weight but i lost muscle as well so this time i'm really like eating slightly more than the actual challenge food because i'm trying to build muscle but i'm still losing weight so i didn't realize that either because yeah i think the first two weeks more so the first week god i was so hungry yeah and my trainer was like you've got to just put some sweet potato in there yeah but yeah, no, yeah. you're actually it actually says on the app like ah. if you train three times a week it's an additional 200 calories Genius. so well if there's any f45s out there make sure that yeah. you write that down yeah it's in the app somewhere like if you scroll through <laughs> the challenge app it, it, it actually it gives you a table of how many sessions you do how many extra calories you can have per day and obviously that doesn't mean going and eating like that in chocolate but like it's okay to have like I remember a friend in the first week was like I'm so hungry I just want to eat this apple I'm like you're missing the point of the challenge if you're not eating the apple eat the apple you know yeah eat the damn apple yeah yeah (laughs) thankfully my trainers alerted me to this fact that yeah I love that yeah so thank you Camp Hill I love you (laughs) quick shout out there yeah um, now, before we wrap up, anybody who's going through a chronic illness or, or even just a tough time in general, what advice would you give to them? Hmm. This might be one of those moments where you have to edit out a pause. Um, <laughs> um, I think maybe it's all about taking it day by day. Yeah. So really break it down or even break it down hour by hour. Don't try and project too much into the future really just you know each day like wake up and yes you might be in emotional pain or physical pain but just remind yourself that you're here like I remember I was joking with a friend about how like it was kind of annoying getting older like you know we've all got these creaks and different things happening but then I was like oh but how amazing is it we're getting older yeah it's actually amazing like we're getting older that means we're here that means we're alive and so I think 
yeah, that would be my biggest advice is just to take it day by day Mm. by day. Yeah. (laughs) And what about for a partner or a family member or someone trying to support someone with a chronic illness? What advice would you give? Um, I think, I guess, just allowing them to talk when they want to talk, Mm. um, encouraging them, like if they need to see someone to talk to, um, encouraging that and maybe just including them. Mm. Like I always try and include Greg and I never, like, yeah, even though he's not going through it and he doesn't know the exact things, he's going through something different watching me, which is almost worse in some ways. Like I feel like watching someone you love go through something is worse. Like he would just want to, you know, that saying that he never, you just want to do it for them. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess just being able to be there for them as well. Yeah, Yeah. that's that's really good advice. Just being there is really important, I think. Now, one of the things I am passionate about is making sure that as a mum, not just, you know, somebody who's got an illness, that you take some time for yourself yeah. and reconnect with the person that you were pre-children because, you know, that was a time when we got to be selfish and, and it wasn't, you didn't have all the guilt that was attached to doing things just for you. Yeah. What is it that Emmy likes to do back, you know, in reference to what she used to do pre-kids? Um, I think the exercise is definitely one of those things. Yeah. Um, I always enjoyed like sport and running and things when I was younger. Um, but also photography, though mm-hmm. a lot of the times the photography I'm taking is of my kids. <laughs> That's <laughs> that, good. It's though. like my fa- yeah. I, my favorite um, type of photography is either mums or kids. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I also do really love cooking and like s- spending time in the kitchen. And that's actually how I started blogging my first. It's the same blog, but back then it was all about food. So, yeah, that's probably something I'd... I yeah. love that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's important to incorporate those little things where you can. And I love that the photography matches with your passion as a mum because yeah. you get to take photos yeah. of the kids, it's which great. is awesome. And yeah. you get to have those memories, which is really important. Too. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. You have been an absolute ray of sunshine, as expected. Uh, and I think that a lot of people will get benefit from your story, even if they can't resonate from a medical perspective, but just that mindset piece is really important, really important, and that resilience. So thank you so much. The thank you for Emmy. having me. <laughs> You're very welcome. I will pop all of your details in the show notes so everyone can follow you along. But thank you again. Okay, thanks. Yay. Isn't it amazing when you listen to a story like that to realize just how much people go through on a daily basis? And unless you're aware of it, sometimes we just absolutely have no idea. So I'm so proud of Emmy for taking the time to open up and to share her story. I think it's a really valuable insight for all of us to have. Now, a few things that I took away from today's conversation is that chronic illness can actually affect anybody at any age and every medical situation is completely different with their own restrictions and their own complications. So unless you're going through it, it's really conscious to be mindful of making judgment or making comments on someone's situation. Emmy proves that you can, however, still try and live a normal life. And although there are restrictions, it's important to not let it rule your life. 
make decisions for you, make conscious, healthy choices and still have goals where you can. There's always something to be said for looking forward to something and the motivation that comes from that. It's also a great prompt to consider whether you yourself are an organ donor. As Emmy explained, there's a lot of things that go into the process of organ donation and in terms of actually matching the organ to the recipient. It's obviously a personal decision, but if you haven't made that choice yet, it could be a good prompt to do so. From Emmy's discussion, she shows that it's important to have perspective and be conscious of what's really important in life, particularly when it comes to material things. She said it perfectly when she explained that money can't always buy what it is that you need and you want. That, my friends, is a lesson in itself. Her advice when it comes to going through a medical challenge or a difficult time or a chronic illness is just to take it day by day. Small steps, do the best that you can and live your life to the best that you can. If you would like to follow more of Emmy's journey, you can find her over on Instagram at The O'Neills and I will make sure that I put her details in the show notes so that you have a further reference. Now, before we wrap up today, I want to give a quick shout out to username at Lauren Hyde, who tagged me in this week's The Me Before Mummy story. She was enjoying a sauna at her local gym, saying taking some extra time out for me while the kids are in creche. Good on you, mama. It is so important to take that time for yourself and reconnect with that person that you were pre-children, doing those things that you never used to feel guilty about, but somehow now we manage to make ourselves. Now, if you would like to do the same, you can jump on over to Instagram and tag me at Mummy Republic using the hashtag the me before mummy and show me and other mamas what it is that you do to reconnect with that person that you were pre-children. But in the meantime, remember to take a breath, take some time for yourself and know that you're doing a damn good job. Thank you again so much for joining me. I cannot wait to share more stories with you. So if you haven't done so already, make sure that you click on that subscribe button so that you don't miss a thing. Thanks again. Lots of love and I'll see you next week.